I'm excited about what the Lord has for us this morning. So turn to your neighbor and tell him, get ready. Because the Lord's going to do something. Um, This is a message that I've actually shared in two different places. Some of you may have heard it. I shared part of it at camp and I shared a little bit of it at the ladies retreat, but it's, it's a message that I knew that the Lord wanted to have shared with all of us. And so, um, if you'll turn to second Kings, second Kings two, Starting in verse 19. And this morning, I just, I feel like what the Lord wants to do in a lot of us is, is release, release a healing at the source of, of our pain. And so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at this morning. So in Second Kings 2, starting in verse 19. It says, one day, the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. This is right after Elijah has gone home. The chariots of fire came and swooped him up. The mantle has fallen on Elijah. And this is his first account of being on his own. We have a problem, my Lord, they told him. This town is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see. But the water is bad and the land is unproductive. So Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. And so they brought it to him. And then they went out to the spring that supplied the town with water and threw the salt into it. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. So that's just the text this morning. And that's a really cool story. It's Elisha's first miracle. Um, but what caught my attention when I was reading this was that he's in the town of Jericho. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, I am more familiar with Jericho as in Joshua and the walls of Jericho. And so I began to think, because I thought, didn't they like destroy that city and say not to rebuild it? So I kind of went on this journey um, of of figuring out What's going on with Jericho here? Um, So if you go to Joshua 6, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to kind of give you the summary. Some of you will know the story, but if you don't, I want you to know because it's really cool. Joshua is finally leading people into the promised land. Moses has died. They cross the Jordan River and Jericho is the first town they come to in the promised land. And instead of just like hauling out and breaking in and defeating it like you would as a normal army, God has them march around the city for six days. And then on the seventh day, they march around the city seven times and then blow their horns and shout. And all the walls come tumbling down and they take the city. It was just a, a miracle, miraculous defeat. It was very cool. So Jericho's defeated. And Joshua says... In chapter 6, he curses it and says, If any man ever rebuilds this city, it will be at the cost of his firstborn son. 
And if, as he lays the foundation and as he lays the gate, it will be the cost of, of his youngest son. And that's kind of how you leave Jericho. And so I was like, man, well, what happened? So in first Kings 16, 34, you read about this guy who has this brilliant idea to rebuild the city of Jericho. I don't know if he hadn't heard about the curse or if he didn't think that it was that powerful or what. So he, he gets this brilliant idea. He rebuilds the city, lays the foundation and loses his firstborn son. He continues to build the city, builds the gate, and he loses his youngest son. Just exactly as it was said. But Jericho is back standing. And so that's where we are here. Elisha is walking to the city of Jericho. So, so Jericho was a city defeated miraculously by God's people. It was cursed by Joshua. It was rebuilt at the cost of human lives. And it had contaminated water that caused death and no production. Sounds like a good place, right? But what caught my attention is it's all those things while being situated right in the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. This city marked by all those things. And I believe that there's sometimes in our lives that we're positioned right in the middle of the promises of God in our lives. But when we look around, we see defeat. We hear the curses that have been spoken over our lives that are holding us back. And while it may look like a lovely place, that's what it says in Second Kings. As you can see, this is a lovely place, but the water is contaminated. So while it might look like you're in a good place, you see death and the lack of production. And... You can read in this and say, you know, you can look like you're in a good place from the outside and be unproductive and hooked to a source that's been contaminated. And that's dangerous, but it's where a lot of, a lot of church people live. And I would venture to say that if we're right there, if we're right in that place, then we probably are also positioned for an encounter with the Lord, for healing, for him to touch our hearts. And, you know, I, I, the more I'm, I'm around and the more I live, I really believe that the enemy capitalizes on our hurts and on our pain. That if we can stay so focused on, on all of that stuff, there's little produced in our lives. Have you ever been there? Have you ever done that? You've gone through tragedy. You've, you, you've been wounded. You've had broken relationships. There's hurts. And, and what happens is we begin to focus so much on our pain and on our wounds and on our hurts that it like, it consumes all of our thoughts and we become totally unproductive. And I think that's the enemy's plan all along is to get us stuck there. You hear people talk about, you know, going from loving God to adoring God, from from going from one place with the Lord into a deeper level. And I think that sometimes what's holding us back from moving forward is our own pain. That sometimes our wounds are our idols in our lives. 
Just as much as anything else. You hear people harp on all kinds of idols, whether it's football or media or anything that's taking the time of God. But how many of us, if we really sat down and looked at it, the majority of our time and our thoughts and our energy is going to where we're wounded. Our wounds can become idols. They can, they, our, our hurts, our broken hearts, our physical health, our crushed spirits. They can be the thing that we get so wrapped up in. We get, we get so wrapped up in what's happened to us. We get so wrapped up in what we've lost. We get so wrapped up in questioning why God's even allowing this to happen to me. That we get a skewed perspective of the Lord and we kind of, we, we f- kind of find ourselves at, at a loss f- for purpose anymore. Does that make sense? Have you been there? Have you, you know, it doesn't take much to get there either. That's what's scary. But it's like it becomes, it becomes precious to us. Those wounds, it's like we carry them around with us like a badge, like it's something that, oh, this is just who I am. This is why I act that way because of this. And if you find yourself in that place, it's you're holding on to wounds that have become too precious to you. That's not who you are. And so I call this the precious baggage syndrome. See, what happens in our lives is we encounter things. We encounter hurts in our lives, in our marriages, with our kids, with our friends, with the Lord. We encounter death. We encounter sickness. We encounter tragedy, whatever it is. And you pick up a piece of bag and a piece of baggage in the spirit. You hear people talk about all their baggage. And so as you live life and you just keep on adding it on there. Every time something happens, you just hang on to it and it just becomes sort of what you do and who you are. And you're going through life and you you got your bags and you're good to go. And then you start realizing that you're tired. And then you start wondering why. And if you could see yourself in the spirit and you were carrying this around with you all the time, you might understand why you were so tired. You might understand why you weren't free to really serve and and give and do all the things that you're wanting to give and do because your hands are tied up. How am I going to be helping Kim And giving her something if all I have in my hands is my own baggage. It becomes, it becomes precious to us. It becomes something that we hang on to, that we just walk through life in. And, and then it just, we get so used to it that we wouldn't even know what to do if we set it down. And then we have an encounter with the Lord and we're like, Oh God, you're so good. And he talks to you and, and you come to a moment where you're in your life and you're going to unload your baggage to him and you try your hardest. And what you do is you like get rid of this on the altar and you feel really good about it. And you should, because that's a good step. But imagine how good you'd feel if you got rid of some of the other stuff. Because I think that there's a lot of times that we come and we have, we're, we're hanging on to this, to this thing so tightly that we don't, 
we want to leave it, but we can't. We can't part with it because it's who I am. And you know, as Christians, we're really good at hanging on to our own baggage. We're really good at, at looking at other people's baggage. I use this illustration at camp, but I had like a full suitcase and I had lots more bags than just this. And so I, I was packing up in the room and I was getting ready to go. And John is like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I just got this illustration. I'm just going to carry my baggage to the sanctuary. And he like looked at me and he was like, okay. You know, I said, just like everybody else, you can just see mine tonight. But see what the interesting thing is, is I had to walk all the way across the campground, pregnant lady with all these suitcases, right, right about dinner time. Okay. People are out. They, they're seeing me. And so I'm walking and I'm hauling in with all this stuff. And the kids were amazing. They just set up the thing so good because I could begin to hear people say, Hey, look at all her bags. Hey, look at her bags. What is she doing? Look at those bags all the way across the campground but not one time did any of them come and say hey ashley can i help you take those what what are you doing but everybody noticed and everybody talked about it and i think that sometimes we even will recognize someone else's baggage and we just say hey look at her bags Look at her bags. Look at what she's carrying. What is she doing? And it becomes a source of, of gossip. It becomes a source of, of let me tell somebody else what I'm seeing. And we never run over to say, hey, Katie, I noticed that you're carrying some bags, honey. Do you need some help? Part of it is probably because my hands are so full with my own bags. I'd rather just talk about somebody else's. And that we, we've totally missed what God has for us here. If we're, if we're all weighed down and in, in our, in our spirits are beginning to look like crippled old ladies, you know, with a hump on their back because we've carried stuff for so long. That's not what our spirits are, are called to look like. We have to come to the point where we can really say, this is huge in my life, but I am willing to lay it down because God, you are more precious than my bags. We, ha- we have to come to the point where, where he is better than our pain because he is. And, and everybody would agree with that, but we don't, we don't walk like that. We don't live our lives like that. We carry this like it's better than Jesus. We carry it like what he did for us wasn't enough that I need to carry my own. We have to get to the point where we can come, where we can unload our baggage and where we can leave it so that we can be free in our spirits, where our wounds are no longer holding us back, where our hurts, where all of those things are no longer keeping us in a place that that is not, not fully releasing us into who we're called to be. Because you know what? In God's kingdom, that's not what people are called to look like. And sometimes we forget that God's kingdom is so good. 
And, and sometimes we just get so used to the kingdom of this world that we kind of forget that his is so different. And so we need to be reminded of, of what, what does God's kingdom look like? It doesn't look like a bunch of people carrying around baggage. It shouldn't. And I'm not saying we don't run into things where baggage is handed to us. You know what I'm saying? Because certainly we've all been there. We've all had wounds and we've gotten some whoppers. But it's about how long you're going to hang on to it. Are you going to allow this to become who you are and your identity and allow it to be so precious to you that you could never release it? We got to lose the precious baggage mindset. We need a healing like the water at Jericho. One that starts at the source. What I love about this, when the leaders come to Elijah and tell him about their problem, Elijah says, bring me the new bowl with salt in it. And so they brought it to him. And then they went out to the spring that supplied the town with water. It wasn't like, I'm standing in town, so I'm just going to throw the salt right here in this water and let it cleanse from the town out to the source. It was, let's get this bowl of salt and let's go all the way out to the stream that's supplying the town with the water. Let's go to the source. Let's throw the salt in it there and let it be healed from the source and flow all the way through to your symptoms. And when you go to the source, see, he, he put it in there and it flowed to all the hurt here. Then it said, and it remained pure from that day on. It didn't say, and so they had fresh water for a week until all that salt that he threw in had flowed out because he started here instead of at the source. It didn't just stay pure for a month. It said, and it remains pure from that day on. Or it remains healed from that day on. So this morning, I'm not, I'm not interested in just touching the surface of your heart. I'm not interested in just touching the surface of our issues. I don't want to see you or me healed temporarily of a symptom this morning. I want to see us go deeper. Let's, let's dare to let God touch the source of our wounds. Let's, let's allow God to go to the problem and start restoration from the depth of our hearts and move forward and move out from that place. I have an example. Daryl, will you come up here? I forgot my band-aid, but... So Daryl has just walked through a glass door. And he is, he, he's got some cuts on him. And he's got a piece of glass in his arm. But what he comes, he comes up to me. He comes running up to me. And he says, here, hold your hand up. I'm bleeding. 
And I say, oh, Daryl, I'm so sorry, you're bleeding. So I get out my little Band-Aid and I put it on and we send you on your way, right? Now, do you feel better, Daryl? A little bit better, maybe, because now if I put a fun Band-Aid, that automatically brings some instantaneous relief. I don't care who you are. If your Band-Aid has Lightning McQueen on it or, you know, Hello Kitty or something, you automatically feel a little bit better inside. So you might have some temporary relief because you have lightning queen on your arm. But you didn't tell me there was glass in your arm. You just came to me and you said, I'm bleeding. So I took care of your problem by putting a band-aid on it because that's what you do when you're bleeding. Now, if Daryl would have come to me and said, hey, Ashley, I have a piece of glass in my arm. We probably would have hunted down some tweezers and like, you know, peroxide and all that stuff. So we could clean it all out, get the glass out, and then we would have applied the band-aid. And so if we just put the band-aid on, the glass is still there, then you're probably still going to be in pain and it's probably still going to be bleeding when you take off that band-aid later, right? You think? Yeah. All right. So this is the same as responding to the Lord or a message or anytime something's pulling on your heart and you come and you confess something. I'm addicted to pornography. You instantly feel relieved because the confession has been made. And it's good. That's a really good place to start. If you come and tell me I am addicted to pornography, I'm going to look at you and say, so what's the problem? Some of you have really big eyes right now. (laughs) So what's the problem? Did you not just hear me? I hear I am being honest. I'm telling you I'm addicted to pornography. Okay. What is the problem? Because all of that you have told me is come in and said, I am bleeding. You have not told me that there is a piece of glass in your arm because what I want to know is what is going on that is making you choose that pornography is a problem. Yes. But it is not the problem. What if you are a believer in Jesus has made you turn to something like that? What is going on in your heart that has said that that is okay? That has said you need fulfillment from something other than the Lord? Or if you're married, your spouse, what in in the world is going on in your heart? That is what I want to know. Because you can come and you can feel better that we have, we have You know, I would pray with you about pornography. We'd begin to break some spirits. We'd begin to break addiction, all of those things. But see, if we don't go to the root of what is causing you to do something in a few weeks or in a couple months, you're going to be doing the same thing or something similar because you never dealt with what the real problem was. You're still going to bleed out somewhere. It will show up. So the confession is good. It it begins healing. But what we have to remember is that there's something under there. Do you understand? That is not who we're called to be. If you come and confess something, it's not, it's not saying, okay, let's just deal with that. It's saying, no, that is not who you are. So where have, has something gone wrong that has made you be not who you're called to be? It's made you, it's made you choose something that is less than good, that is less than God, that is less than the abundance that you've been called to live in. Let's go there.
there was a girl at camp. Her, her name is Lisa. And she came up for prayer. And I've prayed with her probably every year at camp, probably over the same issue. And she comes up and she's just crying. She said, Ashley, I just don't feel good enough. I just, I just don't feel good enough. See, it doesn't have to, I I want to throw out lots of examples for you because it doesn't have to be like these big giant things, you know, these big, huge moral issues, although those are ones, but she just comes, Ashley, I just don't feel good enough. I just don't feel worthy. I just, and so, you know, when you're speaking at camp and when you're praying for people, it would be really easy to just begin to look at her and tell her how beautiful she is and encourage her and say, oh, sweetie, you're, you're so wonderful and this is what God says about you and, uh, you know, and release her. That's probably what I've done every other year at camp for her. And that makes her feel good and it's all true. It's, I'm, I'm just seeing what the Lord is saying about her and letting her know. But I said, so why not? Why don't you feel good enough? And she said, I don't know. I just, I just don't know. And so I just looked at her and I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you feel worthy of God's love? And she began to cry and she said, no, no, I know, Ashley. Everyone tells me that Jesus died for my sins, but I just can't believe it for me. And she said, and, and I, I, I'm called into the ministry. How am I ever going to do this? You know, she's just a mess. How am I ever going to do this if I can't even believe that Jesus died for me? And, but, you know, she's just going you know, and I'm just like looking at her and I'm like, Lord, what, what do we need to do here? And this question popped into my mind. And so I said, Lisa, why don't you, why don't you tell me about your relationship with your dad? And she just like stops and looks at me like I'm a freak. And she's like, well, there's not much to say. He's not really in my life anymore. And, you know, just recently him and my mom got divorced and you know, and she's just kind of him hawing and she said, you know, and when we were younger, it was just kind of hard because it didn't matter what we did. There was nothing that we could ever do that was good enough for my dad. And she said it just like that. It was just like she stopped mid sentence. And I said, so do you think that that might be the problem? And she said, yeah. And I said, so would you be willing to forgive your dad this, you know, tonight? Would you you be willing to just forgive him? And she said, well, yeah, I think so. And I said, well, okay, well, why don't you just pray and and forgive your dad? And I'm just going to agree with you. So she prayed and she just released it. And she said, you know, I forgive my dad for always being hard on us and for never, for never affirming us and for making me always feel like I was less than and never worthy. And she kind of looked up at me and you could tell that there was a shift happening in her. And I said, so now would it be okay if I prayed for you, you know, just for the love of God to, to be imparted into your heart? And she said, yeah. And for the first time in this young woman's life, 17 years old, she was able to truly experience the love of God And it was incredible. It was a healing that was amazing. 
It touched a place so deep in her heart that it freed her to to really feel the love of God. Now, she would have come up and said, I don't feel good enough. And I would have quoted all these scriptures about how you are good enough and, and just prayed and said, God, do it. That would have been fine. But there was still something there. There was still glass in her arm that was that was preventing a true healing. And so to go to the source and say, why are you not feeling good enough? What is the problem here? The pro- Yeah, it's a problem that you don't feel good enough but what's the real problem that's causing that and so to go to that place and realize that she had a father wound that she didn't even realize she had and 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 release that and be healed there then it was released from the source and flowed out from her heart it was incredible it was incredible we had another young lady who was um she she's just like a college-age kid kind of leading in a church helping with their worship team and they had had a falling out her and the pastors and she left the church for a while and she came back everything had been restored she'd been leading again had been really good she heard this message and in the response time she went to her pastors and she said there's still glass in my arm they didn't know it She probably didn't even really know it. They worked to the source and now her being a part of their leadership team is more incredible than it ever has been because there has been a deep healing. There has been closure where there needed to be closure. It was going to the source. If you're struggling with an addiction... What's, what's going on in your heart? What's happened in your life that needs to be healed so that you can be really set free from those things? See, there's, there's something where it's, I, I believe that this is really something that the Lord is, is wanting to do in his people is to stop treating our symptoms but to treat us at the core of who we are, at the source of our pain. And then when you, when, you, when you are there, you will be the best you there ever has been. Lisa went home to her little town of Haskell and she is like a little dynamite stick because she, for the first time, feels valuable. She feels like it's okay to be who she's called to be. She feels worthy to be one of God's kids. She feels worthy to be called into the ministry. She feels worthy to just go to church and raise her hands and worship and love on Jesus. First time ever in her life, even though she's gone to church forever. Everybody's noticed a difference. I've followed up with her on Facebook. She, her life was transformed in a moment that she was able to forgive her father for something that she didn't even realize was holding her back. And it was exposing itself in all these other areas. Ashley, I've had all these boyfriends. I keep on thinking that maybe if I just have a boyfriend, then I'll feel loved. I've looked for love here. I've looked for love there. All of those avenues that you look at people and say, look at their bags. Look at their pain. Look at their wounds. Look at what they're doing. And all the while, it was 
my dad never treated us like we were good enough. And that's the reason she goes from boyfriend to boyfriend. That's the reason she doesn't engage in worship. That's the reason she flakes out of youth group half the time. That's the reason that she's all over the place. That's the reason that she can never move forward in her life was because of that one thing. That, and it was manifesting in all different areas. And so I believe that the Lord wants to touch us in those places. And that's kind of hard, you know, and this is not like one of those messages where you're just like, yeehaw, Ashley, thanks for going there. I just want to go visit my childhood and talk about all my wounds. And, um, but you know what? The fact is, is that if you'll go there, if you'll really go to, to the depth, then you only have to go there once. We can't live from band-aid box to band-aid box. Even if they are Lightning McQueen, that just gets old. We can't just be bleeding all the time and just like put a band-aid on and then that one bleeds through and then you put another one on. You can't just live from band-aid box to band-aid box if you just need some tweezers and some peroxide. We can't, we can't keep living like that, just treating our symptoms. Because what happens is we treat one symptom. We might not ever have that symptom again, but then th- we have another symptom pop up because of the same piece of, sh- you know, the shard of glass in our arm. It's just popping up in a different place. And so if you'll go there, if you'll venture to go to that place one time, then you may not have to go back there. And even if the Lord does take you back there, it's not going to hurt as bad the second time. It's worth it. Every time it's worth it. In my own life, it's worth it. In everyone else's life that I prayed for, it's been worth it. Because you cannot trade the feeling of, of, of going, this is who I am. I am being the best me there ever has been because I have taken care of business at the source. There's nothing... That beats that for yourself or for the people around you. Man, you want, you want a change in your marriage? Your spouse will notice when you go to the source and pour some salt on that wound. They'll notice. And I believe that when we allow the Lord to touch the source, it's when it's, it's in that place then when we remain pure from that day on. Jesus has already done it. He's already paid the price for us. He's already made the way for our hearts to be pure. In our spirits, we've been made new. But there's a lot of things that we've chosen to do for ourselves or that have been done to us that have put us in a place where we just need some healing. We just need to acknowledge it and allow him to touch us there. We want to be pure. We want to be healed. To be pure is to be free of extraneous elements of any kind. Think about that in in relation to the water in 2 Kings. He poured that salt in. You become free of any extraneous elements that aren't good. They leave. The glass in your arm, it's, it's gone. And so this morning, I want us to respond. I feel like the Lord wants to do a couple of things. 
I think he wants to heal the wounds that we've begun to inflict on ourselves. So destructive behavior, addiction, worry and anxiety. That's something you inflict on yourself by being anxious and worrying about stuff all the time. Unforgiveness, bitterness, those kind of things. Those are things that you choose to hang on to that are contaminating your heart. I think that he wants to heal us of wounds inflicted on us by others. So those would be like the father wounds. The, the wounds from relationships where people have said things or done things that have hurt you deeply. Family things. The, from others, you get the idea. Churches, leaders. And then I think he wants to heal our perspective of who he is. He wants to touch us of, uh, and just heal our perspective of who he is. And that's powerful. And sometimes we think, well, I don't need that. That seems so silly. But we do need it. And I believe that the way that a lot of this healing is released is, is it's unlocked through forgiveness. It's all unlocked through forgiveness. So we may have to go to places this morning where we have to forgive others, where we have to forgive ourselves, and where we have to forgive God. And does God need forgiveness? No. But there is something, if we're holding unforgiveness towards God, there's something about releasing that. I prepared this message. God's so funny. Huh? For camp, they gave me the topic of healing. And I was like, you're asking the wrong person. If you even knew my year last year, you would never ask me to speak on healing. And uh, so I kind of prepared this message. And literally on the way to camp, John dropped me off at the cemetery to go see my mother-in-law's grave. And I hadn't been out there yet. So he dropped me off to, and went and got gas. And so this is like literally on the way to camp before I gave this message. And I walked out there, and if you've ever had to do that, you know it's hard, and it's kind of, you know, the reality sets in the first time you go. And um, God was waiting for me there, though. He really was. He was, in his gentleness and in his kindness, he was waiting for me, only I was not excited to see him there. (laughs) If I mean... If you just want my honesty, I'm like, what the heck are you doing here? I don't want you here. You know, you didn't do anything for this situation here. So what are you doing now? (laughs) You know, I'm glad you're here, God, but were you ever going to do anything about this? You know, and it was at that point that I felt like the Lord said, I need you to, you need to forgive me. You need to release that. And that sounds so silly to say that you forgave God, but there I was crying at the tombstone on the grave, sitting there in the wet grass, getting all nasty. And I just, I just cried out to the Lord and I said, I forgive you. I forgive you for not showing up. I forgive you for not keeping your word. I forgive you for not healing her the way I asked and the way we all thought it was going to happen. I forgive you. 
And I just let all that ugly, ugly stuff, you know, that you keep in your heart that you would never say about God to anybody that you really think about him some days. And I just let him, I just let him have it. And then I was just like, oh, that was real good. <laughs> should have done that a long time ago. should have done that like six months ago. I might have been in a better place. But there's something about, see, there was something underlying where my perspective of the Lord, I, I, I just needed healing there. I just needed to forgive him because I was still just hanging on to it. I was just ticked at him still that he didn't do what he said he was going to do or what I thought he said he was going to do or he didn't do it like I interpreted he said he was going to do. I had to release that from my heart. See, there's a quote that I love that John got from convention. It's, Holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. So whether it's your unforgiveness towards God, whether it's your unforgiveness towards others, whether it's your unforgiveness towards yourself because you're so locked in shame of something that you've been trapped in. It's like if, if I'm just have this big issue with John and I'm holding all this unforgiveness, I'm drinking poison, hoping he's dying. Who's dying? Me. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. I, we'll put on like some kind of something nice and pleasant. And I just want you to take a little bit of time. And if you need to respond, I want you to come up. There might be something that you, you really want to talk to somebody about and have somebody ask the questions to help you get to the source. And we'll be glad to do that later. But for right now, what I want us to do is if, if you're just like feeling the Lord kind of mess with your heart and say, I, there's, there are some things I need to forgive and there are some things I just need God to touch and heal. I want you to come up here and then I'll give you a little bit of time to just kind of sort some of that out with the Lord and maybe he'll show you the source of something. And then what we're going to do is, is um, we're going to do a prophetic act of forgiveness. And so I will give you a little bit of time. You can go ahead and come up here. I know you can respond at your seat, but sometimes it's good to just take a step. Sometimes it's good to just move and just say, I, I need the Lord to touch me. I will meet him. And he is waiting here. And you might not be excited to see him. But that's okay. You can come and tell him that and release him too. And so we'll just respond that way for now. Thank you, Jesus, for touching our hearts, for showing us our wounds. Especially for those of you that responded and anyone else who responded from your chair. And... What we're going to do is we're just going to take our balloons outside. We'll just go out the front door and let it go. And watch it fly away. And I believe that it's a prophetic act this morning of releasing forgiveness. And that's what it looks like. Just taking our balloons out and letting them go. You can't get it back once you let it go outside. 
And so I, I think that's what the Lord wants to do. We'll take our balloons. We'll let them go. You can come back in and get your stuff. And if you, if you need to talk to somebody, if you want somebody to pray with you, please, I'll be around. John will be around. Our elders can stick around to help. If, if, if you're kind of at that point where you're like, I have the confession, but I'm not even sure what the problem is, talk to somebody. We'll help, we'll help coach that out of you. We'll pull it out. We'll find the source because that's ultimately where we want to be healed from.